As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are coming to you, well, I was going to say live, but it's recorded live in heaven, uh, which is the football pitch on top of hotel football. We're overlooking Old Trafford, the scene of yet another defeat for Manchester United in the week against Galatasaray. We'll react to all of that, of course. We'll preview Brentford if we dare this weekend and get into exactly what's going wrong at the stadium across the road from us now. Nice seeing this. Andy Mitten's here, Carl Anker's here, Laurie Whitwell's here. Andy's got his Vimto. Home comforts, that's what's needed this week, yeah? Vimto is a great Manchester drink, which is also, I learned this year, very popular in the Arab-speaking world. Okay. Amrabat's a fan then. Maybe he is, but yeah, I was quite proud when I heard that because it's from uh, Manchester. My sister used to work there and they changed the name. Well, my mates changed the name from Hayley Mitten to Hayley Vimto for a while. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Creative. Laurie, as expected, you haven't got a Vimto in front of you. What have you got in front of you? Oh, well, I've got a red cocktail called Red Devil. Naturally. Uh, that you went to the bar and, and I said, listen, get me whatever you feel is appropriate. And you came back with a you know, luminescent drink with two red chilies crossed on top of it, which actually quite, I don't want to move them because it looks very pretty, yeah. but equally it's quite difficult to drink in between. So I might have to at some point accept. The- you could eat one. <sighs> Should we do that like midway through? What's what's more painful, United's recent form or me eating a red chilli? <laughs> and Carl, naturally, you've got a bag of Maltesers. We all needed one of them, didn't we? Yeah, I went for the bigger sharing bag. <laughs> because you knew because, be I knew someone would need to have a couple more and I think we were looking a bit downbeat after Galatasaray result. There's, um, I got caught by a fan yesterday uh, outside the cinema and they said, I know you look really, really pained in the press conference. On Tuesday, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, right at the start, you could see everyone go up to Tenard to put their recorders down and you put yours down and span around and you're on camera and you just drop your shoulders like, ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, we all need some cheering up, don't we? Pretty much sums it up. Laurie's cocktail should have a sparkler in it, but that that's, this week doesn't need sparklers, does it, to be honest? Let's get into it. Wasn't very good again, was it? Well, no, yeah, you said we're in heaven at the moment, but United are in purgatory. Do you like that one? Do you like, is that okay? What are you going to go with in hell, like Andy's piece on Galatasaray? Well, I'll leave that to Andy. He can, he can touch on that, can't he? But uh, no, uh, I kind of feel like hell is, it's not where they are because that's, I mean, that's, surely that's like, you know, League One and, you know, Old Trafford's crumbling. Well, okay. Um, I haven't scored a goal in 11 games. I think that would be hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, I suppose we're close. City within the treble, but then again, no one really noticed. Um, but yeah, I think purgatory just because it's like this sort of cyclical process, isn't it? It feels like where... Very highbrow word, by the way. Oh, you know. I, I I've not brought my theosaurus to heaven. <laughs> I did do English at university. I can tell. I try and, you know, drop in a few words every now and again. Um, but <laughs> to be honest, you know why I know purgatory as well? Back in the day in Stockport, there used to be this club called Heaven and Hell. Uh, and there was a middle section called purgatory. So it was a, an early word that we used, uh, you know, to kind of let people know that we were in, in the middle of things, I suppose. But yeah, uh, United, cyclical kind of process of manager comes in, does well, has a, has a kind of bit of momentum behind him, and then it just sort of dips and, and you can kind of debate the different reasons for that. But it feels like 
you know, certainly Ericsson Hag is, is a focal uh, point of, of discussion at the moment with, with United. Six losses out of 10. It's always going to be the case. Everyone that you speak to, though, you know, he's, it's not even a consideration, you know, his position. So I think, and that's fair. That's what it should be the case. And that's kind of what I, I touched on in my piece this morning, where I think you've seen, obviously, David Moyes, uh, Lou Van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even Ralph Rangnick to, to an extent, I know he was into him. But all of those people have done good work either at United or outside of United. But they've all, you know, basically struggled at United after, a, you know, a length of time because to kind of progress the club, it, it's a difficult situation when you have got the Glazers as owners and then you've got the kind of structure around that and the kind of length of time it takes to kind of get approval for certain signings and just generally the, the mood, the kind of, the, the the standard is set from the very top and, and basically it's, I think it's a standard of mediocrity and that seeps down and that just, it, it just means that those purple patches that you get aren't sustained. No, they've not been sustained because last year for the majority of the time, Carl, it felt like a purple patch for United under Eric Ten Hag. Your piece as well, which has gone out, a headline which takes a quote from your your piece. It says, a team gripped by fear and devoid of trust. Yeah, it was... That team performance I watched there was just full of teammates who would freeze at the most critical moment because they couldn't trust themselves to work. There was the counter-attack Marcus Rashford at the start of the second half. Uh, I admit, I actually went to Laurie. Square it. To, to Fernandez, and I think you were leaning more towards he should shoot near. No, I also thought because it looked from our angle, which totally different than on TV. I've then seen it back, and everyone's like, "Why did he even try and think of a passing?" But you could see Bruno tearing away to try and support him, and he's looking. He's thinking, "Oh yeah, this is an easy square." But yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, this conversation is basically what was going on in Marcus's head as he went yeah. on the break. I think. Yes, I think that's that's the problem. Last season, January, February, Rashford isn't thinking about that. He gets to that area. Smash he's, it. He's smashing it. That's going near post. That's a goal. This season, he's thinking about, do I shoot? Do I pass it? And then also on top of that, he underhit the pass. He was you know, visibly frustrated by that. You could hear the oh, big sighs from the Stratford end as well. And there's three or four decisions you're seeing now of players who are, I'd say, afraid of what should I be doing in this moment? They're not as confident as they used to be. You're also seeing a lack of trust from these players and their teammates. Casemiro, you know, Casemiro's given a hospital pass by Onana. You should not rush in to make that recovery challenge, especially when you're carrying a yellow card. But perhaps Casemiro doesn't quite trust Onana to make the save so that you've got given away a penalty and you've got a red card. And I think that's, that's the element. These players are just not what they used to be for a variety of reasons and it's really concerning. Yeah, hold fire on Onana and Rashford for a moment because they are two of the individuals that I want to talk about. But Andy, how bad is it at the moment, in your opinion? It's bad. It's grim. Not just because it's rained every day in the last week in Manchester. If you're losing home matches, the league position, we've lost the opening two Champions League games. So to get out of this group now, is, is it, that was a must-win against Galatasaray. and They've lost two must-wins this week, haven't yeah. they, in a way? Yeah, they have. And... Laurie said six out of 10 defeats, 20 goals conceded in the opening, 10 matches. This is by far Eric Ten Hag's most difficult team. I think it's 18 all comps. 18, yeah, but it feels like 20. <laughs> it feels like 30 the way you're watching the team. It's bad. Um, not even that optimistic against Brentford. I think they're potentially a very difficult team to play against. We could talk about so many negatives. There are a few positives. Definitely. You know when... We're talking about all these players getting worse and managers getting worse and seeing the reputations battered. I agree with all that. I really like the fact that Rasmus Hoyland is still so new and green to it that he doesn't care or he's not ready to be sucked into this Manchester United talent reduction machine, which seems to affect absolutely everybody. He's coming and playing football with such joy. And when he ran towards goal, he just ran towards goal and put the ball into the net. It was wonderful to see. There was an innocence, there was a confidence, there was an arrogance about it. There weren't many positives the other night against Galatasaray, but that was the the biggest one. But no, it's, I'm, I'm really surprised because I didn't think this season would be that bad. I can't understand why the players are not responding to the manager. Um, Do you think they're not responding to the manager no, then? I know they're not responding to the manager. I speak to people I see with my own eyes. I think That's not a great sign though, is it? It's not a great sign at all. I think it won't be the first manager who's gone through a patch like this. Um, I won't wish that injury list on anybody. I think the manager has been un unable to play his best 11. And you can sort of stomach, you lose at Arsenal. Tottenham are a good team. 
Bayern Munich are a good team. That's one level. Lose at home to Palace, lose at home to Galatasaray, that is another level. And that is deeply concerning to me. Let's save the negatives for a moment, if if we're allowed. I'm sure people are shouting at their recording device or playback device. What do we call it now? I don't even know what Phone. we call it. Phone. Phone, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Podcast delivery service. <laughs> PDA. Wait, PDS. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where you're going with that then. Um, let's talk about the positives. Let's talk about Rasmus Hoyland just for a moment. Andy's right. He looks immune to what's happening around him. And certainly the other night, he was very unlucky not to have a hat-trick. Mm. Oh, absolute top-class centre-forward play, wasn't it? The whole way through, um, which is something that I hadn't quite seen from him just yet in the United shirt. I know we'd, he'd done it for Atalanta, hadn't he? Um, sort of that burst uh, against Lazio, wasn't it, where he just sort of took the ball and, and ran through it. And that, that's kind of, I think, one of the main reasons why United bought him. But... Um, for United so far, it'd been kind of in and around the box. It'd been those kind of sharp turns and getting a shot away. Whereas this was, okay, he's going to drop deep, get the ball, bully defenders. I mean, there was that one in the in the first half where um, the one of the Galatasaray defenders is like, he, he's kind of almost a rude Van Nistelrooy. I don't know if it was an elbow or kind of just barging him off the ball. You know, that one against Fulham, I think, where mm. I don't know who, who it was that he left maybe unconscious for a brief moment. But the guy, the Galatasaray defenders, like then complaining to the referee afterwards after eventually he did then block, I think it was Mason Mount shot. And, you know, look at my, look at my cheat, look at what he's done to me. It's like, he's a 20 year old kid. And he's, he's absolutely beasted, yeah. Um, but it was also the physical strength, obviously the speed, but the composure, the, the, the right choices that he was making. So he, he did that bit in the middle of the park and then passed it out to the wing and got himself into the box. And obviously his finishes, you know, the header was, was, I actually thought Rashford's cross was so good that all he needed to do was get a connection on it. But on replay, I can see that actually he's had to kind of lean back a bit and direct it to a degree, which is makes it a better finish. And then obviously he's, he's one way he's running through, but but the one way he's twisted and turned that gets ruled out offside. And then he stands in front of the Stretford end. And I felt for him because you could see he was offside pretty quickly, but he's there, arms outstretched, absolutely reveling in it, savouring it. You know, that is someone who we've been told in advance he's not going to get cowed by the Old Trafford crowd. He's going to, you know, embrace it. And, and that really showed the point. Yeah, that celebration was was Latan or Eric Cantona yeah. in a way, yeah. wasn't it? In the, in the, just a shame about the offside flag. Um, the goal as well, Carl, the second one. In the stadium, it felt like he was running quick. You know, no question. But actually, when you looked at him, he looked so effortless. He barely even broke stride to chip the goalkeeper. But if you want a true reflection of exactly how fast Hoyland was running, have a look at the defender and the way he's straining to keep up with him. That's a weapon, isn't it? Absolutely. I know we've we've gone back and forth back to Nag saying United are going to be the best transition team in the world, but Hoyland can do it. I watched that and went, oh, we've got one. We've got one here. And uh, I watched the PSG versus Newcastle highlights last night. And I watched Gonzalo Ramos sort of toil against the St. James's yeah. Park defence. And I went, I'm quite glad we got Hoyland instead of Ramos. Uh, I'll you know, play this back later on in the season. But for now, <laughs> before Hoyland succumbs to the Manchester Unitedness, uh, I'm quite glad it's him. And I'm quite glad he's playing 90 minutes. I'm also really glad, like you said, about the header, because you know, well, heading was meant to be one yeah. of his weak points. Uh, and you know, we wrote that down in, in Uno our previews about Hoyland, but he really, really thumped that one home. The first chat we had about him when I spoke to people in Italy was how fast he was over open ground. And he showed it the other day. And Carl and I were talking earlier. Carl reckons he was a bit of a sprinter himself back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before, before the old hamstring injuries. Yeah, I was all right. I could sprint. 200 metres as well. So we sat on a table with the lad who came 17th in the North Cheshire Under-7 swimming competition and the lad who came 26th in the Under-12 Leighton Stone 200 metres. <laughs> Big time, royalty, royalty, <laughs> athletics, royalty. Another positive from the other night, Mason Mount actually thought he had an effect on that game. In fact, it's difficult to make this argument considering how the game went for United, certainly the end of the game. But for large parts of it, certainly attacking, United were good, weren't they? United start well. I'm more worried about the mentality when the team concede goals. They're invalid. Definitely. In, in, the, in the tension and the pressure, um, Mount had four or five efforts on goal, close to goal, deflected away from goal, struck down. So if you want me to pick out a second best player, it will probably be him. Although Christian Eriksen's pass, that mm, round pass was sweet. The corner. Yeah. Oh yes, that was beautiful. At a moment when we're thinking, this is a great European tie dish, you know, you've got the away fans going mental, Manchester United are attacking. There's unpredictably, unpredictability here. It was enjoyable at that moment. And then, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Hoyland makes it 2-1. 
I'm getting really, really happy. I'm starting to write, you know, two, 300 words on how Hoyland's the next great Manchester United striker. It's all going well. And then Onana's hospital past the Casemiro and it all just goes to pot. Um, so what happens? Your editor calls you and says, scrap the article oh, on yeah, Hoyland. I get a Slack. Uh, so every, every year I've got a big Google Doc and it's just full of all the outtakes, all the pieces I haven't quite written. And maybe one season I'll just... Kukurea's buried in there, isn't it? Yeah, that's Kukurea's... a great piece on Kuk- as well. is buried in there. There's there's 900 words on Dallo that I'll have to use eventually. Well, you'll have to use it now. It's about the only <laughs> defender who's staying fit, yeah. So, yeah, and it all turned to pot. One thing I'm quite p- proud of, or quite pleased by, was at the end of the press conference, United staff have gone, there's only one question left, and I've got my hand up trying to get there. They swing over to Laurie, and Laurie asked the same question I was going to ask, uh, which, is, ah, which is... Well, well, I'd say great minds, but I know them quite well. <laughs> yeah. Which is the fact that we couldn't even kind of celebrate or, or, or get our heads around what we were going to write after each goal, thinking, okay, this is a good goal. It's definitely an issue, this, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, he, he, Tenag admitted it. You know, he, he said, yeah, that's a concern. And then, you know, United conceding after scoring. You know, so obviously it happened twice in, in Bayern Munich. Why do you think it is? I asked him before the Burnley game. And he, Ten Hag's doing this new trick of his where he goes, I don't want to give any reasons because if I give reasons, they come across as excuses. And then he sort of deflects. Uh, and he said, I don't want to give reasons because if I give reasons, it's, it's an excuse. But I'm, I'm aware of the fact that we keep conceding after restarts. Should hope so. Yeah, you, you've, you've, it's happened three or four times enough now. Um, and then Ten Hag's answer after Galatasaray, he mentioned control. Yeah, he, he just said it's about staying compact, basically, and, and making sure that you don't concede, you know, by just being together, making it, making yourself tough to break down. So, I don't know. I mean, it feels like it's, it's poor to say, really, because you're elite footballers. You should be switched on at a kickoff. Um, but are you, is your mind slightly wandering, thinking, you know, you, you're in the ascendancy and, and you kind of, you've got your energy up and you perhaps don't quite make that tracking run like you're supposed to or you, you're not looking in the periphery of your, of your vision and, and kind of tracking So it's concentration there. then? It, it seems like that to me because what other reason could it be? I mean, it's it's such a... It, it, okay, once is, you know, is, is unfortunate, twice, three times, four times, you know, it happens frequently and kickoffs as well. I think, Carl, you've got a good start about kickoffs themselves. So I'm, I'm going to write a peak. This hopefully will go out Friday. So listeners, it should be on the Athletic website if I type it quickly enough. But United are, if you go back to the start of last season, United concede, have conceded, I want to say, more than a dozen, I can't remember the exact, more than a dozen goals after a goal has been scored. And this is, I mean, depending on who you talk to, this is just basics. You play five-a-side, you score, or you concede, you play something league. Nil-nil, lads. Still nil-nil. <laughs> who, who's the person, who is the person on the field saying still nil-nil? Another problem United have is they concede a lot of cutbacks. Yeah. Right? A lot of goals now are being conceded from one person's run down the wing and they're just pulling it back to the edge of the box. Odegaard's goal for Arsenal not too long after United scored in that game. That's a classic pullback. Everyone knows Odegaard likes to score from the edge of the box. There needs to be someone on the edge of the box to stop that pullback. The person who's supposed to be doing it is your defensive midfielder, Casemiro. But Casemiro is... Andy, what's Casemiro doing right now? Well, I tried to speak to him after the game the other day. At least Eric Tenog spoke to you. I waited in the mix zone for a long time. None of the players wanted to speak. They were mm. perfectly polite. I said, hello, can I speak to you about the game, please? And it was like, um, not today, no thanks, can't speak at the moment. Uh, shrug of the shoulders, blanking. Mm. Some of them even like, would say hello, but then just walk off. So I need to change my tactics. I need to get. I need to catch them off guard so that they stop and talk. You can't talk about Vimto, but... My sister's just started working for them. There you go. You got, you got to do that. I thought she had. She's back there, is she? She's back. <laughs> I messaged her before because I'm sure my mum said something to me a few weeks ago, like, our Ailey's back at Vimto. And she's just replied during this podcast saying she starts back there on the 16th of October. Hayley Vimto back she's at Vimto. Before, <laughs> before the game, Ian and I had a great chat with a United fan who told, me, who told us about uh, how they helped Amrabat find a butcher's by Altrincham. So yeah, like that might be one. Man. That yeah. might be one. God, you found a butcher's yet? She's... She's trying to work um, her way back into my affections after marrying a City fan. But you mentioned Butchers. I once did a black tweet saying that the reason Edinson Cavani's staying at United is because he's found a Butchers inside Stretford Arndale that he absolutely loves. And I was worried about the number of people who believe that. I was clearly blagging and maybe that's just my humour. I was one of them that fell for it. Yeah, yeah, did you? Did you ring me up? Of course I did. Yeah. He, he, he saw an athletic did. article in it. He had to go and go down to uh, yeah. Stratford Mall and yeah, find yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> so, it's pretty frustrating when you, you want to speak to footballers after a game. I know it wasn't working for a right soldier and they did do their TV commitments. Fair play to them for that. But I need a new tactics. When they walk past me now, I might just go, boo! 
just to try and catch them off guard. <laughs> it's Halloween. Oh, just soon, hit, Halloween soon. Just hit them with a random question. Are you from Stoke, mate? Yeah. What? I mean, what? imagine Casimiro wearing that. Go, what? <laughs> I think this is the problem with United in that there are so many questions about what's gone wrong. And there is unfortunately such a limited time for Ten Hag to answer them that we're all now just all scratching our heads. You know, why are United conceding so many times from kickoffs? Why are United conceding so many goals from pullbacks? Why is Bruno Fernandes not the player he was last season? What's gone on with Alessandro Martinez's injury? Are any of these players coming back from injury anytime soon? And we're trying our best. I promise you we're trying our best. But this club. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's get into some of the individuals then from the other night who have faced the most scrutiny, really. Um, Andrew Onana, Laurie. There's been a lot of criticism for him very early in his Manchester United career. It reminds me a lot of when David De Gea first arrived and actually looking at the stats, I think in terms of the first 10 games, they've conceded, Onana's conceded 18. I think De Gea had conceded 17 at this point. There seems a lot of parallels. The only difference is Onana's a lot more senior, a lot more well-established as a first-team player. But no doubt, watching that game the other night, it's not quite working, is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, we knew there were going to be um, teething problems, maybe, you know, with a, a totally new style of goalkeeper. Um, I'm not even sure that the other night, especially, is even being a different style of goalkeeper, is he, for whatever reason? No, I totally agree. I don't, I don't think we've seen very many moments like that. There was there was one at Spurs, wasn't there, where he, he cut out a uh, counter-attack and then pinged a pass to Garnacho and United were on the attack. And it's just, that's the kind of stuff that De Gea wouldn't have done. But they haven't been as frequent as we anticipated. I suppose the concern is is, is the shots, you know, the fact that sort of one-on-ones where you're sort of wondering, could he do more? The Icardi one, he's kind of... He drops early on the Icardi chip. Yeah. He dropped... Akadi didn't have to do much to bait Anana into that chip. And Manchester United need to move on from David De Gea because De Gea was not the player he used to be. Well, I think we all praised yeah. the decision in the summer, looking the way that Anana had looked at Inter Milan, looking at him in particular in the Champions League final on a stage as big as that. Eight clean sheets across last season in the Champions League as well. It was very messy how De Gea was moved on, but getting in a, a player more in line with Ten Hag's style of play was the correct thing to do. The thing with Anana is if you're going to have a goalkeeper who's very, very important in build-up play and, and he's going to help your team in possession, you have to be able to keep possession for longer than five minutes. And the problem with United right now is they're, they're treating the football like it's a bomb, right? They're, they're playing really quick. They can't sustain pressure on opponents. They lose the ball high up the field. And when they lose the ball, six people are in the, their opposition half. Casemiro's way up by the penalty area. And then it just is porous. And there's three or four opposition players running back. And Onana is slightly above average or an average shot stopper. He's not going to do the death-defying, ridiculous leaps that De Gea used to be very good at and then slightly dwindling effect. So now you've got a thing of, you're not playing to Onana's strengths. Onana, two or three times against Galatasaray, was looking for someone to pass out the back from, seeing his options and going, this isn't working, I'm just going to try and punt it. There was one in particular, he had a really good pass. I think he looked up, saw the only option was Rafael Varane, who is a is a safe passer, he's going to pass it sideways or backwards, or Dallow, and Dallow was, wasn't really in an advanced position, so he just went, all right, fine, 
lumped it long to try and find Bruno Fernandes on the right-hand side and Fernandes got bullied off the ball. So is now having to play worse in possession. He's not a great shot stopper. And when you're conceding six or seven shots a game because your defensive midfield is so high up the field, it's all fallen to pot. Can we look at Anana another way? Absolute howler in Munich, Champions League. Mm -hmm. Absolute howler here the other night, Champions League. What is the one thing this club is constructed for, which means the most to the Glazers? Champions League football. He could, in his own way, be trying to get United to bomb out of this competition so that the Glazer family think, you know what, we might as well sell up now. Before we know it, Anana will be praised. And see them statues down there, the Holy Trinity. We could have one of him try to pass to Dreismerton or Casimiro or, or whoever <laughs> if he manages to move the owners on. All because there's a bit of pain, I get that at the moment. But get us out of the Champions League, get us into the Europa League. Let's be, let me be serious for a second. The Europa League is more Manchester United standard at the moment. There's not a chance that Rafael Varane's words, I think, that United can win this competition are, are coming true. Uh, we are so far from that point at the moment that we're losing against teams. You know, Galatasaray, that was their first win in 17 games away. Their first ever win in England. This is a, a decade away from home. They'd not won in the Champions League. For all their, play, their, their flair, for all their form, for all their status as Turkey's biggest club the most they've ever done in Europe was I think semi-finals in about 88 way before it was the Champions League construct you know what would happen I watched Real Madrid against Napoli it's frightening how good they were I just really fear if Manchester United in the current incarnation because it can all change you know a few players can come back and Arna was one of the lads actually who said, can I have a quick word? And he looked at me and he's like, what do you think? It looks like a good laugh. He looks like he'd be great fun on a night out. I'm not gonna lie, I'm quite glad Onana didn't speak in a mixed zone. He's, he's, done, he's done two or three apologies. Yeah. And I think the fan base have gone, no more apologies. I want to see some performances. Yeah. You can get away with that first one where yeah. you're front up, where you're brave. He did that in, in Munich, mm -hmm. wasn't it? But if you're doing it every week, people are like, wait, wait a minute, you're a goalkeeper. Do you want to keep your goal for a bit? Yeah. Yeah, they don't want you to have to do it every week, do they? Onana's not the only one. We can talk about Rafael Varane. We can talk about Diogo Delo's role in that first goal. You look at Bruno Fernandes as the captain and what he's doing at the moment. But it seems to be Marcus Rashford who is the absolute lightning rod at the moment for criticism in this team. Andy did a podcast yesterday with Critch, the Athletic Football Podcast. If you want to go back and listen to that about Rashford, about his start to the season and the context behind it. It's a great listen. Where do you stand on Rashford? I think is probably a better way of posing that question. I think, um, I mean, ultimately, he's one of United's best players and most potent threats. Um, he's had issues like this before, hasn't he? Where you've kind of willed him on to, to do uh, better and kind of show himself more on the pitch. I think he keeps starting games with real intention to do that. You know, again, he assisted Rasmus Hoyland to start with and he looked dangerous, but then it's those moments as the game goes on that perhaps the the thoughts in his mind, as Carl alluded to, come back and he's just sort of second-guessing himself. And is that partly to do with having uh, a different you know, strike partner to operate off with Rasmus Hoyland? You're kind of still figuring it out a little bit, maybe. Um, is that just to do with the whole... Um, sort of situation around the club where you're in a difficult moment and it takes you know a strong individual to kind of keep you know their sort of discipline and their, their their confidence about how they play the game clearly he could be doing more you know I, th I think he's, he's also adjusting to still I know it's been a year into it but the Eric Ten Hag way of playing and you know his movements off the ball and it's obviously quite a, a specific sort of set of requirements that Eric Ten Hag wants so you know, if you're sort of having these different thoughts in your mind, sort of then being clear when you have the ball at your feet, perhaps is uh, a bit of a, a bit, bit of an issue. I would still just, I don't know, I just, I would keep faith with the guy because you know the last time United fans, he was the focus of their attention, you know, justifiably so. He then came back with his you know, best season uh, to date, which was obviously last season. So I think that he is someone that with. You know, with with a bit of love around and, and with a you know an arm around the shoulder and with a clear idea of what he needs to do, he, he can you know get back to those levels. He's not hiding Carl either, is he? In games, you know, that's the one thing that you can't say about him. He's making himself available every single time. He was Manchester United's biggest outlet. It felt like in the first half, certainly of the Galatasaray game to attack, and even in the second, it's not like he's hiding on the touchline. He wants the ball. He's on it. He's trying things. He's taking risks. It's not always coming off, and of course. That square ball for Bruno Fernandes has become the focus of the other night. What does he need to do to get out of this? Simplify things, I think. You know, he, he's thinking too much. And confident Rashford 
it's all automatic. You, you know, I always think about that goal he scored against Wolves when he was he was late for training. He got dropped and came off the bench. And he essentially bullied his way through to score. I want, I want to see more of that. I want to see more the Rashford that is is trying shots with his weaker foot or, and going for headers again. I, I want to see less of the the Rashford knuckleball shot where he's visibly frustrated. If you can keep a cooler head and remember his processes, that'd be great. Ten Hag took him off. 68 minutes. I was surprised at that, I have to say. That's two big moments now, isn't it? Uh, home to Palace, where mm -hmm. he takes him off with United needing a goal. And then it was early. It was, it was actually before Hoyland had scored his second goal. Just before goal. Hoyland's goal, Garnacho's getting stripped off and it was going to come on. And then it goes 2-1 and, and Garnacho came on. This Garnacho-Rashford thing is going to go and go and go. And, you know, there was a point in time in 2021 where you didn't think Alanga was going to move ahead of Rashford in the attacking queue. And then Alanga, because he provided more of what Ralph Rangnick did eventually moved ahead. Rashford, if Rashford wants to keep his position, he has to make sure he offers more than what Garnacho is. And at the moment, Garnacho perhaps can't do everything Rashford can do, but Garnacho is a lot more confident in what he wants to do when he gets onto the ball. And that's the difference. On the Athletic Football podcast, Andy, one of the things you spoke about was the idea that Rashford's a local lad. He's a player who came through the ranks, but he's also a player who got a big contract recently after his brilliant form last season. Why do you think it feels like Old Trafford is saving its biggest groans at the moment for him. Other scapegoats have left. David De Gea left. Harry Maguire's not playing. I think fans are often harder on their own, rightly or wrongly. I think that some fans can't get away from how much money a player earns. Um, we'll always say that he earns X and he's obviously one of the best paid footballers in the world. None of them are on a street corner though, are they? No. None of them are on a street corner though, are they? Look, Rashford at the moment, and we were outside the ground the other night speaking to people. Remember when Facebook first started, you could put single in a relationship or it's complicated. Uh -huh. it, it's, it's a complicated thing with Manchester United fans. You know, before Facebook started filling up with, <laughs> with my mum putting pictures of herself in Guernsey on holiday. And we're at this stage now with, with, with Marcus. He is there, you're totally right. He's showing, he's not one who's not playing for various reasons, he's there. I think he's starting games well. The, Bright, the Brighton game, lots of efforts on, on goal. He didn't have a shot against Galatasaray. No, I mean, that's probably why he, he came off um, so early. I spoke to someone who, know, who knows him very well. And he said he, he needs more Mancunian resilience. So your, your first question was about, you know, the Manchester in Marcus, more resilience. You know, you know Nicky Bort? You could have sent him to any danger spot in the world and he would have been completely unfazed by that. But then we can't make Marcus be someone who he's not. He is who he is. He's got to the level that he's at because of who he is and his talent. When you're a goal scorer or forward, people are always, always going to look at your numbers. I only scored one goal in nine. One assist. Three assists. All right. Apologise uh, for that, Marcus. Uh, that's a big drop-off on last season. Um, we are still early. There's still three quarters of this season go. We're not anywhere near straying into the territory of the season before. But he's he's become a major talking point. You know, a guy came up to me outside the ground the other day fuming. Why aren't we dropping Marcus? I'm, I'm not the manager. No, absolutely raging. But do you think he should be dropped though? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I think there's a, a few other factors. Marcus plays on the left. Left back is where Manchester United have had the most injuries. Mm. That relationship with um, whoever's there with or not there. there or Luke Shaw. I mean, it wasn't Jordi Alba Messi, but it was often productive. The players around him, United have not had a centre forward. I'm pretty optimistic about him and Rasmus Hoyland. I think he looks fit. I think he looks, looks the part. Last season, he said right from the start, I've had a great, great pre-season. Not saying that so much now, but that's when he was chiming with Anthony Martial and doing well. And he's been far more used to the team than Anthony Martial has. I think it will come right for him. I'm actually optimistic about him and his Manchester United future. And another point I made in that pod, I speak to people around Europe, they perceive him to be one of the best players. He's like Manchester United's flagship player. And with that comes pressure. One of the few players who is expected to be a match winner. Him, Bruno, who else? And when that doesn't happen, gets rolled into the frustration. 
If you want to read any of the articles that were talked about on the podcast today, remember you can subscribe to The Athletic for £1 a month or $1 a month for the first 12 months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And there's going to be an article up there as well, an update from Dan Sheldon on the situation the other night, Andy, where thousands of Galatasaray fans were in the home end for that game. I don't think it would have been an issue if United had had Hoyland's hat-trick and gone away with a 3-1 win. But as was, it was hard to miss. And the fallout from this now is something that the club really need to carefully look at. Right, let's look at it different ways. From a Galatasaray perspective, you're buzzing because you've got so many of your fans into home sections. You've had a momentous win. They created a great atmosphere. They always do that. I'm going to look at it more from the Manchester United perspective. There were far too many away fans in home sections. How did they get tickets? This is the crux of this. Are Manchester United selling more hospitality packages at the expense of general admission seats? The club maintained no. I think that there are more hospitality executive price seats being sold on a regular basis than before Cristiano Ronaldo returned to Manchester United. That's because they can, because there's a huge demand for Manchester United tickets. And we could talk about this for a long time. Ticket prices have been good value. They've only gone up once in the last 11 years. It's good value to watch Manchester United. I think United and other clubs, some other clubs are doing it much more aggressively. They know their capacity. They know they can turn a regular seat into an executive price seat and charge four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times as much for that same seat with a few add-ons. Catering to the tourist market, catering to the business market. You look at some of the prices for the forthcoming Manchester derby. They are absolutely, I'm not going to say extortionate, because some people are willing to pay them. I never would. It's off the scale. So it's a supply and demand thing. But what happens when regular fans lose out because tickets have gone to the premium market or premium resellers and those tickets end up in the hands of away fans. That is not a good thing. It's a safety issue, Laurie, as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I've spoken to a fan whose uh, friend was you know, basically assaulted by a Galatasaray fan. You know, when they rushed to to celebrate at the end of the game, there's a, there's a large section actually in the, in the south stand. Mm. And originally, initially, sorry, you're sort of thinking, oh, fair enough, they've, they've got in and they're having a nice time. This is obviously one of their, their best European nights ever. Um, let them enjoy themselves but then it's not an issue necessarily until the game starts being topsy-turvy like it was and there's obviously more frustration yeah. from the home supporters as well I mean that's if you ignore the idea that they shouldn't be there in the first place well that's it and and then then it does that there was a bit of an edge to it as well in, in certain moments where you've got United fans that are upset and you've got Galatasaray fans that are kind of gloating a little bit. Definitely was near me. I was in the second tier of the North Stand and that is exactly what was going on. Right, so there you go. And it, there was a lot, a lot of fans. I mean, at the end of it, it was like they'd you know, taken over, wasn't it? Like five, 6,000 maybe, uh, plus obviously the the, um, the usual away section. And listen, no one wants to, you know, diminish their enjoyment. That, that's absolutely fine. And I'm sure there's been United fans that have been in um, home sections of, of uh, you know, big matches um, in the past but I think it did it was it was way too much and as Andy's touched on you have to look at the reasons for that and really scrutinise it in depth I mean I think there was somebody on Twitter mentioned that they'd um, donated their ticket back to the Man United Foundation which is a really great scheme that United do and I think they raised about half a million pounds last year uh, by doing it uh, so basically you know fans give their t- if they can't make it give it back to the Man United Foundation the money goes to them and then United can resell it and they are adamant that they don't sell above the general admission price the face value because that's the, one of the other issues that people were wondering like okay well you've got this ticket back are you now selling it at that hospitality increased price they say no but I think it's a it's a fair question to ask when you then look at for example the, the Bayern Munich game the Copenhagen game I mean there's all the sections that are still available in the hospitality are the ones where we saw the Galatasaray mm-hmm. fans so there's, there's a clear correlation for me there was a big drift it, it was at full time when the Galatasaray fans were you know really getting into their celebrations where I mean Laurie and I see like a eastward drift from a lot of fans coming from the executive boxes coming from you know close to the directors watch all moving over towards the away fans you're going hang on how many how many fans were in the home section and 1500 I'd say in that in the main stand okay alone okay okay I'm um, I'm a nerd for stuff like this. I, I know you are. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I, I think I think it is emblematic of the top-down drip feed that Manchester United ownership or whoever is supposed to be in charge of the big decisions 
isn't that bothered about what Manchester United fans need. United fans want their football team to be winning. They want to be. They want to watch good free-throwing attacking football. They want to get behind their team. They want to get behind their manager. And it's really hard to do so. Where there's so many times where people, organisations are going, I want to try better, but I can't because of the thing above me right now. And just seeing that huge celebration from Galatasaray fans, celebrate you know, this huge celebration from Galatasaray fans, all just moving one direction, going, ha ha, we've done you here. You know, what's going on? United said they didn't sell tickets to people with a Turkish address. Galatasaray didn't actually take their full allocation. Did United sell tickets to people who just joined the membership scheme and applied? Or, and what United want to do is maximise their revenues. Yeah. So if you can sell a seat for 200, it's better than selling one for 32. The general admission prices here are fantastic. I've had people who have helped get tickets in the last year going, really? Is it really 35 quid? You're not winding me up. But the tourist market is different. Mm -hmm. Have United sold a load of memberships? And if so, what checks are in place to stop that happening? The best example of this is Barcelona last year, their ground was taken over by Frankfurt fans. Yes, it caused a massive stink. I was in there, 30,000 of them. Massive presidential level stink. Unfortunately, the people who um, were, received the negative side of that were the next visitors in for a big European game, Manchester United. Barcelona were so strict on selling their tickets that I know people who live in Catalonia who applied for tickets and were rejected because they had English or um, Anglo names. I rang the club up and said, you are discriminating people here, Catalan residents, Catalan taxpayers, on the basis that they're called Stephen or John. This, this, this is massively discriminatory. They got back to me. We argued about it for a long time. What checks did Manchester United put in place to stop that ground being filled? Not just with a few Galatasaray fans going up. 1,500 in the main stand? I mean, 400 in the north stand? 300 in the east stand, second tier? You can shorten that question to anything. What checks are in place at Manchester United? Right? What checks are in place? Manchester United fans are going, oh, why is this player signed? What checks are in place to make sure that player is going to have everything they need to be the right person. Oh, Manchester United, they've got this manager. What checks were in place? Oh, Manchester United keep conceding after scoring. What checks are in place on the field to make sure that doesn't happen? And it's just, it really feels like there's no real safety net to stop things that a club of Manchester United side should be really aware of. Frankfurt fans got in Camp Nou because of money, because Barcelona wanted their money. Galatasaray fans got inside Old Trafford because of money, whether they bought executive packages, I know the club pushed back. I'm sure that some United fans did sell their tickets to their Turkish mate. Mm -hmm. And this idea of only restricting Turkish addresses. Look, the Turkish diaspora is one of the most famous ones in the world. Mm -hmm. I once read the six million people of Turkish origin in Germany alone. Mm -hmm. We all knew that the Galatasaray fans were going to come. And they were good humour. I spoke to loads of them. Didn't like them taking ripping that flag down. I saw that at the end of the game, that United flag. I'm glad that's been retrieved. Hats off to the steward who saw that being smuggled out of the ground. It will be back up again against Brentford, but the ticket checks have got to be much, um, much tighter. Dare we preview Brentford? How much of that cocktail have you had, Laurie? I'm halfway through. I'm, I'm feeling good now, actually. You ready to talk about another Manchester United game? Yeah, come on, let's go. You can never be... Listen, it's a privileged job, isn't it? So you can never be... Uh, it feels like it's sat in heaven, sipping cocktails on a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> Overlooking. With a bag of Maltesers in hand. Overlooking Old Trafford uh, as people are going in and out uh, to the Megastone and whatnot. Um, yeah, Brentford. I mean, they're, they're all right, aren't they, Brentford? They've not got Ivan Tony. Um, I mean, you know, he's obviously uh, potentially uh, on the market at some point soon, I guess. Uh, you know, would United go for him? And then they've got a couple of strikers that they could actually rely on. Um, you know, the Anthony Marshall thing is, is clearly reaching uh, the near, it's, it's end, you know, fairly soon, I would imagine. But um, yeah, I mean, they're not quite the same team as they were last season. They, they, they will be a challenge though. You know, they, they have clear ways of how they play. They can be direct. They can um, they can also play a little bit, you know, set pieces they're going to be a uh, danger at and that's something that United have struggled with. Um, but I don't know, it could turn out to be, it could be a palace. It could be a 1-0 resilient win for Brentford and then the, the doom really does start. Um, or it could be 
uh, more of a I don't know I'm trying to think not there's not been a, not, not a good Crystal Palace Cup tie no, Crystal Palace Cup tie that's the one isn't it that's the, the one fixture that we've had to kind of cling to as, as a kind of complete performance almost um, so yeah I mean I, I don't know it, it depends I, I'm, I'm positive about Rosmus Hoyle I think he's clearly got the bit between his teeth now can we pin it all on a 20 year old I don't know got, I'm just pitch, I'm picturing United fans just jumping on Hoyland's back you know yeah. like we're pinning all our Hoyland's hopes back. on Hoyland he's, 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 He's only just recovered, hasn't he? There is that. This is the thing. Um, I'm glad Hoyland's playing 90 minutes. One thing I'll say about Brentford, they've got one win all season in the Premier yeah. League. Uh, and I spoke to Jay Harris, Brentford reporter, on Monday. And I went, are you worried yet? He goes, nah, no, nah, I'm not worried. Just, it's a bit uneven because Rico, Rico Lewis has been injured. So Rico Henry. Sorry, Rico, Henry, Rico Henry's been injured. So they've had to change He's out up. for the season now. They've had to change up uh, their attacking shape. They're not getting the overlapping runs down the left that they used to. Uh, and Flecken is another Premier League goalkeeper who's just come in and isn't looking as confident as one would expect. We need Marcus Rashford to start taking shots again against Flecken, yeah, I think. I would really, you know, Rashford taking some shots against Flecken. I'd also say Bruno Fernandes start dropping some crosses in. There's question marks over Bruno, actually, as well. I mean, I didn't mention him when I was talking about the individuals too much, but he's probably facing as many questions as anyone at the moment, particularly as captain. Very much so as captain. I mean, if you talk about who's, you know, who's given a sense of control, it should be your captain screaming, it's nil-nil and keep the ball. I mean, Maguire, four of his plus and minuses and whatnot, in the closed-door games, you could always see him yelling at Fred in particular, going, keep the effing ball, you effing this and this and this. And you, you, do, you do need someone when everything's going 100 miles an hour to go stop, slow down. And that should be your captain. Um, I don't want to see Bruno Fernandes play right wing anymore. You can't dribble on the right. If you're going to play Bruno, you've got to play him as a 10. And if you don't want to play him as a 10, then we've got to have a really uncomfortable situation about Bruno's position in that starting lineup. So you put who on the right wing? Mount. I think I, to, to get weird and experimental with it, you, you get Amrabat off the left back. For who? Here we go. Uh, move Amrabat into central midfield next to Casemiro. You move Victor Lindelof to right back. You move Dallo to left back. You move Bruno Fernandes as your 10. And then Mason Mount off you go to right wing. That's a lot of players playing out from their natural positions, although best suited positions. But your best players, Casemiro is not the player he used to be. He can't track back and hold pullbacks. So you put Amrabat next to him so Amrabat can protect against you pullback. You didn't mention that Harry Maguire would have to start in central defence doing that as well completely forgot about Harry Maguire there you go um, and this is the problem this is one of the big problems about Man United in that your your best players from last season Martinez who was so important for building on the back he's injured Casemiro's not the player I don't know what's going on with Casemiro we'll, we'll do a whole podcast on him soon he had Cas- a couple of good games didn't he but he was poor against Galatasaray but Lindelof at right back did you see him against Atletico away it was it was not good at all at all at all at all but did you Terrible. see did you see Amrabat left back against Galatasaray? Oh, it's an odd one, isn't it? So you you got to make the change. Did he play left back against Galatasaray? I mean, that's the thing with that position. He's settling into a new league, into a new club, a manager he's worked with before, but not for a while. A whole new set of of teammates and being asked to do quite a tactically complicated role as well. I mean, you know, he wouldn't be the only player to suffer in that sort of circumstance. I have some sympathy for him. You know that. Good game against Palace only a week ago. Seems a long time ago. He was another one who walked past. Will you stop, mate? No, no, mate. I've had my time here and done that last week. This Instead of no good butchers in Altrincham, it stop there. I don't know. I should. Um, I know he played at left back. The amount of times I spotted him in, to, in the centre midfield, because this is what Ten Hag demands of his fullbacks, trying to create those overloads. It wasn't really working. Originally, we were talking about Bruno. He's the captain. I think this team looks devoid of leaders at the moment. I think it looks devoid of characters. Who are you looking at? I hate harping back to ex-players of your when the team won absolutely everything. When United were poor, back in 86, when they also lost six of the opening 10, and that was the last time it happened, you did have one player, Brian Robson, who, who, who would lift the team. It was, it was often an impossible task. And we know that Bruno's got some leadership skills, but I think it's a major factor. You've got senior players here who I don't think are lifting those around them enough. And if they were, why are they losing all the time? It's really uncomfortable to watch. The place is full of tension. Fans feel it. The, the players then feed in off that as well. Man United are no longer indomitable. That fortress at Old Trafford, it, it's gone in the space of a month. And that really worries me. Well, it's gone in the space of like two games, hasn't it? In a way, the Crystal Palace game, you know, added to the Brighton game. That's what undid that year of progress at Old Trafford and the, the form that United had there as well. Do you see it changing against Brentford? 
I mean, yeah, because they're a different team to Galatasaray, who... Are they, are they worse than Galatasaray? Are they better than Galatasaray? I don't, I don't I, they, they can't be... I think they're worse than Galatasaray, I would say. I mean, just because Galatasaray have... <laughs> okay, Ian and Carl both sort of did high head swivels then at that, at that point. It was a certainty in which you said it, yeah. Well, th- well, I mean, come on, they are in the Champions League and they are, you know, the Turkish champions, the top of their league, you know, and, and they do have an attacking threat. I mean, at the end of the game, it was it was calamitous from United, but Galatasaray were, you know, right there to take advantage. And I know they missed a couple of chances, they missed a penalty, but, you know, they were slicing through United, you know, and I, I, just, I don't know, I don't see Brentford having that kind of uh, fluidity in attack. Clearly, they've got some very good players in Brian and Buemo. He, I think he's brilliant. Uh, Wisser as well. Who've, who've, you know, they've, they've stepped up in, in Tony's absence. But I don't I don't know. I think there's a, there's a set way that they like to play. And I think United can... I mean, I sort of, I'm sort of now thinking back to that 4-0 at, you know, down in Brentford, you know, when David De Gea, you know, if, if Onana oh, yeah. does a bit of that, you know, Jeez. against Brentford again, I suppose they're right there to take advantage of that. Thanks for cheering us yeah, up, Larry. Sorry, I forgot about that one. Um... But yeah, I don't know. I, you have to believe. You have to. You, have to, have, you have to believe Man United have to do better, and it, it's got to the point of. And again, fan, I talked to you yesterday. Uh, I said, well, Casemiro has to. You know, he said Casemiro shouldn't have lunged in to to get that red card challenge. And I said, well, maybe Casemiro doesn't trust Onana to 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 make the save right now because Onana's in not great form. Part of the panic of the situation as well, isn't it? The it's whole circumstance. It's part of the panic to which this person replied, well, Casemiro has to trust Onana. Well, you've, we've just reached the point now where. Do you think United are going to beat Brentford? I have to, because if I don't, then I may as well just pack up all the rest of my United gear and be done for the rest of the season. And it, Brentford have not won at Old Trafford since December 1938, a 5-2 victory. What was it like that day? <laughs> <laughs> my great uncle actually scored for Manchester United against Brentford just after the Second World War. So wow. that's how far you have to, <laughs> have, I have to go back. Um, I'm going to try some reverse psychology, listeners. I think Brentford are going to win three, three, one. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I am feeling pretty nervous about the game. They've won one match, Brentford. They're out of the League Cup already. They've been beaten at home by Everton. I mean, that no one gets beaten at home by Everton. (laughs) So I'm worried. When did United play Everton? (laughs) Everton was that. That was the first time I thought. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has lost the moderates here, that draw. I'm worried. I'm worried. And I'm I'm trying I'm an optimist normally. I'm going to turn to be pessimist. I think Brentford are going to win 3 1. And I hope the Manchester United players are listening to this, going, You shut up and we're going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and run into your seat during the game and smash your computer up when we go 3 1 up. Yeah, let's hope they're listening. Um <laughs> be quite something if they were, wouldn't it? But for the minute. In heaven, on the top of hotel football, Laurie, Carl, Andy, thank you very much for being with us and thanks for listening at home. We'll see you after Brentford, if we have to. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. The Athletic.